0: Amen. Thank you, ladies. Indeed, He is with us no matter what comes down, down the pike. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. we come this morning to worship God and to hear from, from Him. I, I trust that uh, your hearts will be moved by His words to you and that uh, if the changes that need to be made, that you allow Him to make them in, in your heart today. This morning, as I was getting ready for church, I was watching a little bit of um, one of my favorite... Uh, television pastors, uh, David Jeremiah. enjoy him a great deal. Didn't get to watch a whole lot, but a little bit. And I think he's one of the best Bible teachers our country um, has. And he's also a tremendous storyteller. I was at a conference that he spoke at a while back, and he, he told this one, and I've I shared it about six years ago, but I think it bears repeating this morning. He said that, that a certain pastor knew that his wife kept a particular uh, shoebox in her closet something that she kept completely secret from uh, from him and swore him never to open. And uh, he did pretty well with that promise until one weekend when she left to go and uh, visit her mother. And so his curiosity, having gotten the best of him, he went to the closet opened the door and uh, took out the box and opened the box. And in it, he found uh, three eggs and $800. And he hadn't a clue what that was about. And uh, when his wife returned, he confessed... Uh, to her what he had done, not just to clear his conscience, but to find out what was up with those eggs and and the money. And uh, so after forgiving her husband's indiscretion, she told him that uh, during his 20 years of preaching, she had put one egg in the box for each uh, bad sermon that he had preached. He thought, hmm, not so bad, 20 years, only three eggs? What's up with the 800 bucks? I got that from when I sold the other eggs. One of the advantages of being an occasional preacher is that it keeps my wife's egg box fairly empty. Last Sunday, Pastor Keith kicked off our new sermon series on the subject of margin, finding room to grow. You might recall that he reminded us that overcommitment in any area of our lives robs us of uh, the potential to grow. That if we are consumed with pressures of life, that there is no room for God to work. And without margin, often the first thing to go or to get shortchanged is our relationship with God. Next Sunday, we'll look at margin in marriage, and on the following Sunday, margin in our finances. But this morning, our topic is margin in scheduling. I've titled the message, It's a Matter of Time. How often have we heard or asked the question, where has the time gone? Don't you hear that a lot and ask that a lot? Sometimes it just seems to fly. I've done a little bit of digging to find out where some of that time goes. Consider the following. The average American adult will spend six months commuting to and from work. They'll spend three years waiting at traffic lights. I believe that. Six years in a mall, not me. And three to four years in the bathroom. And enough of that uh scripture says that there's a time and a season for everything but i'm not sure that's exactly what it means but many of us live life at 90 miles an hour pedal to the metal take it to the limit uh, stretch to the max in every area of our lives 60 hour work weeks stacks of bills endless emails to-do lists that never go away and scads of activities and commitments with our time our money Our commitments and our relationships all pushed to the breaking point. My dad told me that a number of years ago, one of his young neighbors, a man in his 40s, an up-and-coming businessman, suffered a mild heart attack at home. And as he was being wheeled to the ambulance on a gurney headed for the emergency room, he called back to his wife and said, please get me my briefcase. Life, Life in overdrive can be exhilarating at times. But when we live life without margin, without breathing room, between our load, what we take on, and our limits, what we can handle sanely, bad things happen to our relationships, to our finances, and more importantly, to our souls. In our preaching series on roots, Pastor John spoke on Christ the healer, our healer. Those of you who were here that morning uh, will recall that uh, he got a little personal with us. Perhaps you were watching your waistline as I was watching mine. But I appreciated so much his courage to talk about a subject that uh, is often overlooked, and that is the fallout from mistreating our bodies through overeating. And he challenged us specifically with this question. He said, is it possible that we ask God for healing, for problems that we have brought on by our own poor choices. And I think when it comes to the use of our time, we do much the same thing. We complain to God about the apparent scarcity of it, and even ask him to multiply it, when at times we are poor managers of what time he has given us, and we waste tons of it on drivel. Who among us has not lamented, there just aren't enough hours in the day? Just thinking about that question, you know, did God shortchange us? Did he set us up for failure? Notice again the passage in Philippians that was read for us earlier. When Paul says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength, he literally means, I can do everything that God calls me to do through him who gives me strength. But notice he doesn't add, if I had the time. He said, I can do them. He, God has given him enough time to do whatever God asks him to do. It's an important truth that I think we sometimes miss. The problem is not that we have too few hours in the day. God's plan was 24, and he gave us 24. That's sufficient. Whatever God calls us to do, we have enough time to do it. The problem is our failure to discern his will, to even seek his will. We have as much time as anyone has ever been given. The question is how we choose to use it. And this morning I want us to look at four ways that we can build margin into our time. We do it by choosing to be good stewards of it and to determine not to waste it. We do it by controlling our appetites that would otherwise rob us of it. By protecting it from those who would speak for God and how we should spend it or use it. And fourthly, by learning to rest in the arms of our Creator. So first, I build margin into my life by being a good steward of my time, determining not to waste it. In Ephesians 5:15 17 Paul writes, Be careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It was Samuel Smiles who said, Lost wealth may be replaced by industry, lost knowledge by study, and lost health by temperance or medicine, but lost time is gone forever. How true that is. Each moment that we live is given to us only once. We don't get any, any do-overs, and life is not a dress rehearsal. You know, we, we have found ways to recycle paper, glass, metal, clothing, motor oil, concrete, tires, and so much more. But we cannot recycle time that is thrown away. Ruth and I enjoyed a few days with my mom in Holmes County, Ohio, last month. If you've never been there, you need to go, especially if you're looking for a place to slow down. Uh, Holmes County, if you don't know, is the heart of the Ohio Amish and Mennonite country. It's truly a delightful place to visit. The little town of Charm, where we stayed, is known to have the the greatest amount of horse and buggy travel anywhere in the country. uh, Evidence of which is found every place you go, trust me. When the writer of the Proverbs speaks about the sluggard, he certainly is not referencing the Amish. It was amazing to watch even young teenage fellows driving their teams of horses, harvesting whole fields of corn stocks by hand. Truly industrial people. Not so the sluggard. The Proverbs tells us, A sluggard does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but he is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. How lazy can you get? The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. But interestingly enough, wasting time is not just the result of laziness. Some people waste gobs of time being frantically busy. Because of the absence of margin in their lives, the result is the same. Precious God given hours, hours that did nothing to accomplish God's agenda or further his cause, are lost. We'll hear more about margin in our money in a few weeks. But when it comes to giving to the Lord's work, I think many people think that if I've given my 10% to the Lord or whatever it might be, the rest is mine to spend in any way that I choose. Not so. It all belongs to God. We didn't earn one penny of it without his help and his grace. Therefore, we're accountable for how we spend all of it. The same is true of our time. We must rigorously avoid any time waster, knowing that we are stewards of all that God has entrusted to us. An anonymous poet wrote, This is the beginning of a new day, which God has given me to use as I will. I can waste it or use it for good. What I do today is important because I am exchanging a day of my life for it. When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever, leaving in its place something I have traded for it. I want it to be gain, not loss. Good, not evil. Success, not failure. In order that I shall not regret the price I paid for it. Secondly, in order to build margin into my life, I must control those appetites that steal my time. There are so many. In Psalm 101, verses 1 through 4, we read, I will sing of your love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house with blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate. They will not cling to me. Men of perverse heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. <clears throat> During our recent series on the Beatitudes, Pastor Keith preached on the sixth, Blessed are the pure in heart. You were here that morning, you will recall that there were two crosses on the platform, one on either side. At the close of the service, we were invited to write down on a slip of paper some struggle, some sin, some issue that we were having a battle with and to place it at the foot of the cross in a symbolic act of surrendering it to Christ's control. Those notes were anonymous and so the pastors chose to look at them and did. Among the scores of notes, and there were many that were brought forward that morning, following five issues were most commonly mentioned, not necessarily in this order. One was a judgmental or critical spirit. Gossip. Another one was uncontrollable anger. A third was not trusting God, excuse me, or relinquishing control to Him. A fourth was self-centeredness and pride. And a fifth was time management, dealing with the busyness of life, spending more time with God and less in front of the TV and computer. I think when it comes to those appetites that steal our time, Uh, Probably none is as consuming as the television, and uh, even more so as I began to research a few thoughts here that you'll agree with me uh, as we look at these facts of American family TV viewing habits. The average adult invests 8.4 hours working or in work-related activity each day and sleeps 7.6 hours. Of the remaining eight hours, he spends half of it watching TV. That's two full months out of the year, or one sixth of his life. For a person my age, that's about ten and a half years. For one Ruth's age, it's slightly more. <sighs> Just ever so slightly. I caught up with her last week. So, and teens are no better. Only their addiction of choice uh, is going online, also for about four hours a day. Each time we sit down before the television, we average 3.5 hours on the couch. Those who spend five hours per day or more are twice as likely to be obese. And then this one really got me in. Television watching is the number one leisure activity among adults, surpassing walking, reading, and all sports combined. Probably stomping on some toes. And while the average father watches four hours of television per day, he spends less than 45 minutes with his four-year-old child, who spends five and a half hours of his day at daycare. A few years ago, a young family from First Alliance, who has since moved away, came to our home for dinner. They have five daughters, ranging in age from preschool up to maybe 10 or 11 They no sooner walked into our house that they sat down on the floor, opened their bags, and and took out toys and books and began to play and to read together without being asked. And I quietly said to Ruth, I'll bet they don't watch a whole lot of television. They didn't. In fact, we found out later that they didn't even own one. Some months ago, our youth took part in a 21-day media fast. No television, no radio, no internet for three weeks. I did that for a portion of my sabbatical in May, and it wasn't as easy as I had hoped that it would. A bit of a struggle. Disappointed. The average television is on six hours a day, whether it is being watched or not. And when we drive in our automobiles, most of us, many of us, have our car radios going, CDs playing, then not to mention the hours that we log on Twitter and Facebook. Many in our culture simply avoid silence at all costs. Then we wonder why we can't hear the still, small voice of God. His invitation comes to us to be still and know that I am God. The last thing we are is still. I'd like to invite you to join me in doing something about that at least for a couple of weeks. My colleagues in the office know me well enough that they understand that Twitter and Facebook are not preoccupations with me. I haven't a clue what they are. However, I do enjoy uh Week's Roadshow, sports of all kinds, do op concerts and an occasional little house rerun. And my radio in the car is always set to my favorite AM oldie Station Auditor. Beginning today, I would like to embark on a two week television fast, baseball playoffs and all. And I would I just want to unclutter my life for for a season and listen to that still small voice. I would invite you to join me if you do uh either send me an email or drop a note in my box we can pray for each other as we go through that thirdly to build margin into my time i must protect it from well-intentioned thieves i know that sounds a bit brutal but each of us must deal with well meaning people some of whom believe they are speaking for god by advising us either directly or by innuendo how we should be investing our time, particularly our time spent with them. We offer a course at First Alliance called Boundaries. We offer it in the spring of the year. Uh, It's intended to help people deal with these kinds of issues. It's been my privilege to teach this course for the last uh, eight years. The subject of boundaries is not an easy one for some people. They think that boundaries are selfish or inappropriate unkind, unloving, certainly not biblical. But in truth, the idea of boundaries is rooted in the nature and character of God. Consider this. God desires intimate fellowship with him for everyone that he has created. But he has established a boundary which governs that fellowship recorded in 1 John 1. The scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. They cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only those who live in obedience to God may enter into the fellowship of God, which he desires for each one of us. It's clear from 2 Corinthians 9-7 that God takes no pleasure in our gifts and service that are offered out of compulsion only when we give out of our own free will, out of grateful hearts. The same principle should govern our relationships with others. for various reasons most of which are rooted in our growing up environments many of us feel we can't say no as a result we say yes for the wrong reasons and our giving and service are empty expressions offered not out of love but out of obligation five years ago when the boundaries class was offered as a part of our former wednesday evening iclt program i received an email from one of our children's leaders someone no longer attending at First Alliance. And this is what that email said in part. In reviewing the list of classes for the next ICLT session, I just had to question why the boundaries class was being offered. As the director of, and then she named the various four positions that she was was holding at that time, I know firsthand what a volunteer crisis First Alliance has. I was really excited to see that October is being designated as service month at First Alliance, and that all the sermons and Sunday school classes will be dedicated to service. So why are we offering a class that tells people how to say no? My answer to her in part was this. I said, many people say yes when they should say no. But because of boundary violations throughout their lives, they don't feel they have the right to say no. Thus they say yes out of guilt or simply to please someone else. They aren't free to say yes simply in answer to God's voice. I do, and I do understand your concerns, and yet I am eager to help people gain the freedom they need to love God and serve Him without all the clutter and baggage they have been carrying around for so long. Now, in, in case you haven't noticed, sometimes even the church can make it difficult for you to manage your time. Maybe that's not a surprise. And what compounds your problem is that your choices are not between good things and bad things, but between good things and good things. I brought an issue like this to our pastors recently. Something that impacted each one of us in the choices that we make in stewarding the time God has given us. Situations like these are common to all of us, and they aren't easy. But without some margin in our schedule, we become weary in well-doing. Our effectiveness as God's servants is... Very diminished. Even our Savior knew his physical limitations. He didn't allow others to determine for him how he should use his time, as noble as the reasons might have been. At times he retreated to his father rather than spend time with the people. He needed to rest, to commune with his father. After a full evening of healing the sick and casting out demons, We read in Mark 1.36 where Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus had gotten up early and had already left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. A good example for all of us, one that leads us to the last principle in building margin in our time. And that is, I can only build margin in my time as I rest in the arms of my Creator. Everyone knows that life can wear you down. Work for six days in this broken world, and your spirit can be stretched, drained, depleted, and yes, broken. People push themselves to the breaking point for all sorts of reasons. Some fear not keeping up. Others feel guilty for saying no. And still others suffer from a Superman syndrome, believing that all those human limits apply to everyone else but not to themselves. Stress-related disability claims among American workers are skyrocketing. Yet less than one-half of the workforce takes their full vacation. Twenty-two of us will cancel any vacation plans that remain by the end of this calendar year. Stress is manifested both physiologically and psychologically and can result in cardiovascular disease, weakened immune symptoms, weakened immune systems, frequent headaches, and a host of other physical maladies. It can also result in poor coping skills, irritability, insecurity, and exhaustion. And the toll it takes on the worker and his family is huge. Some of us live lives that are totally void of any life-giving margin. And Jesus speaks into our restless world and beckons us and he says, come to me. Come to me. All you are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls." Scripture tells us that for six days, God's meticulously created out his creative work in forming the earth, along with everything above it, everything on it. By the seventh day, his work was finished, and he rested. Not because he was tired. My God does not get tired. But he rested in order to establish the Sabbath rest as something that is good and health-giving and life-giving to you and to me. The Sabbath is a time to rest and reflect, to pray and to play. A 24-hour period of time of recreation every week to renew and replenish. It's God's spa for the soul as he reaches in with his life-giving balm to restore and repair that which is depleted or broken. The psalmist wrote, Find rest, O my soul. In God alone, my hope comes from him. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Be at rest once more, O oh my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. That last verse is on a plaque on the wall of my office. It greets me each time I walk in the door. a reminder that I need every day. So do you. Be at rest once more, all my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. What a precious gift, rest for the soul, found only in the arms of our Creator. But we have a choice. When the pressure's mount and stress of all kinds builds up within us, we can either run from Him and jump back onto the treadmill of life, For as a little child runs freely into the waiting arms of her daddy, we can run confidently into the arms of our father, our strong tower, where the righteous run and find safety. In my preparation for this morning, I came across these thoughts that I share with you as I conclude. Many people try to do more and more, thinking they're using their time better. In actual fact, this can often result in being less productive and not working on what's most important. We waste time when we keep doing, 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 without taking time for just being, listening to the voice of God. Several years ago, a family in a previous church we served gave me a poster for my wall. It was a poem. And it concluded with these words, I am so busy today, Lord, that I must take time to pray. Good words to live by. Let's pray together. Father, you've made the invitation very clear to us. Come. Come to me. We'll find rest. And yet, Father, we often run back into that rat race going after those things that somebody has convinced us are most important. We just wear down. Father, thank you for giving us All the time we need to accomplish what you call us to do. Forgive us, Father, for not consulting you, for not seeking what it is that you want us to do. So, Father, we we want to be good stewards of what you've given us. We want to enjoy our time with you, with our families, in recreation. All of those things, Father, that that, that you sanction and tell us are good. But, Father, we have some work to do. To protect that time, that precious time that will never come back to us again. So would you help us, Father, to do that? Father, we we, we know that it's only when we rest in the arms of our Creator that we can truly say it is well with our soul. I pray these things in Christ's name.